1: The following program contains materials that viewers may find disturbing. Viewer discretion is advised. The jury in the above-entitled action find the defendant or in the of the charge of first degree and not guilty of the crime Burdick. of the
0: murder. As to and count one, to George Zimmerman, verdict. We the jury Burdick. find George so Zimmerman, not guilty. In, in Arizona versus Judy and Arias, verdict count one.
1: Julian to the Charles this issue Hey, everybody, we're back. This is episode two of I an I Podcast. Um, my co-host, Matt, will be here in five minutes, so we're going to get started without him. <laughs> uh, we have a wonderful guest host today. I'm so excited for her to be here. Hannah Jo. Hannah Joe, say hi, Hi, everyone. everyone. So this is episode two, so it's super exciting. This case is one of, that's near and dear to my heart. I'm not exactly sure what got me so obsessed with this. I don't know if any of you have ever gone on crimelibrary.com when that was a thing, but that website was like my bedtime stories every night from like middle school on. Uh, they did shut it down. And I don't know why, but this is a case I found on there that has haunted me forever. Um, it's super disturbing, super gruesome. Uh, but it's something that, that I really wanted to cover because the whole point of this podcast is to really go over the sentencing and you know, what happens After the crime, you know with the people that committed it and this is one of those cases where I really scratched my head and thought to myself What happened here and it's super exciting because Hannah's not familiar with this case so I'll be introducing this case to someone else which I love to do Which is why I have this podcast in the first place, but I do want to you know have a disclosure here This is a pretty gruesome case. I am gonna get into the details I think it's important when you're discussing the sentencing of a crime to really understand what happened, what these people did uh, in order to make the best, most informed opinion of the case itself. So we're going to get into it here in a second, but I just wanted to briefly overview that disclaimer there that, you know, this will be uh, not for the faint of heart. It is really, really sad. Ages, these are young girls that uh, that were involved in this case. So just buckle up it's gonna be you know one hell of a ride here Uh, we're gonna get started here right now all right so on the morning of january 11th 1992 two brothers from canaan indiana go hunting when they noticed a body on the side of the road now i read a lot of accounts of this like i said on crimelibrary.com back when it was a thing and they said that they thought it was like a mannequin or a dummy. And they pulled over, and they called the police at 10.55 a.m. Now, flash a little bit later in the day. uh, Stephen Scherer noticed his daughter was missing early on January 11th. After phoning neighbors and friends all morning, he called his former wife, Shondra's mother, because they were separated, uh, at 1.45 p.m. They both met and filed a missing persons report with the Clark County Sheriff. Now, the time is kind of crazy here because you don't see many cases where everything happens the same day or like the day after so this was all pretty quick because this all happened on january 11th which was the next day so at 8 20 p.m a hysterical tony lawrence went to the jefferson county sheriff's office with her parents she gave a rambling statement identifying the victim Shonda, and naming three other girls involved as best she could and describing the main events of the previous night So, like I said, this was the night before that this all happened. Kind of rare. I mean, have you seen it happen where the next day everything comes to light? It's pretty rare, right?
2: Yeah, no, I mean, especially with uh, such brutality associated with, you know, I I think... Part of that might have been just the guilt associated that Absolutely. Lawrence felt. I mean, these these girls were all between the ages of 15 and 17, and we'll get a little bit into that, too, about yeah. how age played a mitigating factor in all of this. But
0: yeah, and Shonda was 12. Shonda actually, was 12. the only case oh. I can think of oh. where things happened that quickly was with JonBenet Ramsey. Oh, also. yeah, that That's is true. That's a tr- really yeah.
2: good point, actually, yeah. Everything oh, kind of played out case. over that 24-hour yes. nightmare period yeah. there. Another little
0: girl.
1: oh, oh. That, that case is rough. We'll get into that one for sure. Later, Hannah, you should call in for that one if you're not home. Oh, I will. All right, so that same night as well, the Clark County Sheriff was able to match the body found with Shonda Sherr's missing person report. So, like I said, this all happened very quickly. It was all the same night, and that's pretty sad. So, detectives obtained dental records that positively identified Shonda Sherr as the victim. So... The other girls that were mentioned when Tony Lawrence came in, and we'll get into who these people were and, you know, what they were to the victim in a bit, but just remember these names. So there's Tony Lawrence, Melinda Lovelace, Lori Tackett, and Hope Rippey. Those are the four, and Shonda Shara of course. This is about her. But those are the names that we want to keep in mind. Lovelace and Tackett were arrested January 12th, so the day after that... Tony gave this statement to the Jefferson County Sheriff Office. Uh, the bulk of evidence for the arrest warrant was in Lawrence's statement. So that was the day before. The prosecution immediately declared its intention to try both suspects as adults because, like Matt mentioned earlier, We're dealing with people all under the age of 16 and 17. For several months, the prosecutors and defense attorneys did not release any information about the case, giving the news media only the statement by Lawrence. And I think this was also to protect the integrity of the case, make sure that nothing, no one came forward with false leads, because that happens often too. Unfortunately, we live in a world where people want attention, however they can get it. And I've seen many times in crimes, which I'm sure you guys have as well, where people will falsely admit crimes that they didn't commit, and then it turns into a media circus. All right, so a little bit of background here. That was the discovery of the body and the arrest, the initial arrest. Shonda Renee Scher was born in Pineville Community Hospital in Pineville, Kentucky on June 6, 1979 to Stephen Scher and his wife Jacqueline, who was later known as Jacqueline Vaught, as her parents later divorced. So in October 1991, Shonda, who was 12, started seeing a girl named Amanda Hevron. Amanda Hevron is someone who will definitely get into a little later, but it's definitely another key player in all of this. But prior to dating Shonda... Hevron was involved with another young girl named Melinda Lovelace, so that name is coming back here. In 1990, 14 year old Melinda Lovelace began dating a, a young girl named Amanda Hevron. After Lovelace's father left the family and her mother remarried, Lovelace behaved erratically. She got into fights at school, she felt depressed, and she received professional counseling. So that's pretty important. Like I said, we're gonna go into their backgrounds a little later, but I think it's really important to note that she did not deal with with her father's absence and some other things that may have happened that we'll get into later she didn't deal with those well so in march 1991 loveless disclosed her lesbian orientation to her mother who was initially furious but eventually accepted it as the years progressed loveless's relationship with Hevron deteriorated so they were not ever officially broken up i don't really think they were ever officially together either but that's also important to note because i don't think the relationship was over in melinda's mind how old were they um, so Melinda Lovelace, she was fourteen in nineteen ninety, so when this all happened, she was sixteen, and I believe Amanda Heverin was like right in between. I don't remember what was. Yeah, her I
2: age think then. she was a year younger than
1: then, Loveless, yeah, so I think yeah, she I was say. like 15, fifteen when all, 15, all this happened. 15, yeah. Um and Shonda was twelve. Uh Heverin and Shonda met early fall semester at Hazelwood Junior High when they got into a fight, which is kind of ironic. However, they became friends while in detention for the altercation and later exchanged romantic letters. Loveless immediately grew jealous of Heaven and Cher's relationship. In October 1991, Heaven and Cher attended a school dance where Loveless found and confronted them. Now there was rumors all over the place that, and in, in different reports, where um, Loveless would find them and you know threaten to kill Shonda and freak out about their relationship. So that's really important as well because that's kind of how this all sprouts heavily out of control.
2: Right. We um, did mention the 24-hour period over which this all took place, but this built up over... Yeah,
1: over time. Over, over like a couple, a couple,
2: of years, couple of years, roughly. I mean, yeah. Melinda's jealousy goes back, they say... 1990. 1990s So yeah. we could trace this... Two years. Two years, possibly. Two, yeah. Which
1: is really creepy. But yeah, and um, it was October 1991 that Heaven and Cher really started getting together. So it was the year after this. So like a couple months later, because it was January, and this was in October 1991. So it was like... Few months after this, you know, they started really hanging out after Heaven and Cher attended a festival together in late, in late October. Like I said, it was October, this crime happened in January, so only a few what, how many months is that? 12, 10 11 12, 11, two, one, I just want to 3 say months. Lisa's counting on her fingers. <laughs> Lisa's,
2: Lisa pulled out the fingers. guys.
1: I'm, I'm not thinking straight today, I'm tired. Okay, after they. Ex- Attended that festival together in late October is when Lovelace began to discuss killing Cher and threaten Cher in public. So, like I said, they she would confront them and scream at her and tell her, you know, threaten her. I'm um, concerned about the effects of her daughter's relationship with Heverin. Cher's parents arranged for her daughter to transfer to a Catholic school in late November. All right. So now, disclaimer: the craziness is about to start. Like I said, it's pretty gruesome. It's pretty horrific. It all happened with a young girl. So if you don't want to listen to the gritty details, I would suggest either skipping this part or maybe not even listening to this episode because unlike OJ's case, we're really going to get into it because I do, like I said, feel that you need to hear the whole story of what happened to this poor girl um, to really evaluate what you think should have been the outcome in the sentencing. So let's get into it. You guys ready? Buckle up.
2: Let's do it.
1: All right. So, on the night of January 10th, 1992, Tony Lawrence, who was 15, Hope Rippey, who was 15, Lori Tackett, who was 17, drove in Tackett's car to Madison to Melinda Lovelace's house in New Albany. Lawrence, while a friend of Tackett, had not previously met Lovelace, who was 16. So, she was 16 at the time. Mm-hmm. Though Rippey had met her once before and had gotten along with her. Upon arrival, they borrowed some clothes for Lovelace. Lovelace showed them a knife, telling them that she was going to scare Sean to share with it. While Lovelace had never met Cher, Tackett already knew the plan to intimidate the 12-year-old girl, which is kind of crazy. Like, that's premeditation. She knew that they were going to use a knife to threaten this girl. Mm -hmm. I don't think she knew exactly how far it was going to go, but I don't know. Tackett might have. I think Tackett was more on board than the other two. So... Hope and Tony. So Loveless explained to the two other girls, so that's Hope and Tony, that she disliked Cher for being a copycat and for stealing her girlfriend. So this is Amanda Hebron that we're referencing back to. That was who Shonda Cher was also, was seeing for a time and also Melinda Loveless had dated two years prior. And like I said, they never ended and they never really were together. And these girls are young, you know, these relationships, albeit you know, must be passionate at the time. You know, when you're young, you think everything's like, this is my only love, this is the only love I'm ever going to have. I think that was this case, but when you look back on it, you're like, dude, I was 16 years old. I didn't know anything. Right. Tackett let Rippy drive the four girls to Jeffersonville, Indiana, which is where Cher lived, stopping at McDonald's to ask for directions. They were definitely focused on their plan here. So they arrived at Cher's house shortly before dark. Loveless instructed Rippy and Lawrence to go to the door and introduce themselves as friends as Hebron. It was Loveless's former and Cher's current girlfriend, as we've repeated a few times here. And Loveless instructed them that they should invite Cher to come with them to see Hebron, who was waiting for them at a place called the Witch's Castle, which to my understanding was like a, a ruined building on the side of the road somewhere, like deep in the forest somewhere, a bunch of bricks creepy building people believed were haunted by witches, which is why it was called the Witch Castle. And it was also known as Mistletoe Falls, which I thought might be interesting if anyone lives around there. Hmm. Um, Located on an isolated hill overlooking the Ohio River. So Cher said that she could not go because her parents were awake and told the girls to come back around midnight. Originally, when the girls told Loveless this, she was really angry. She really was determined to get this plan to get underway. And unfortunately, she was, you know, kind of sidebarred when Shondo said that she could not come out. So Meanwhile,
2: I do, I do just want to interject here. Yeah, <clears throat> we're gonna to touch more on culpability of the four different girls here. For sure, later. we gotta get into that. But I do want to say I think this is where we can see. Obviously, there was a distinction between Lovelace and I would say Lori Tackett and their involvement and in culpability between the two other girls. But I think this is where we see them start to really have to bear some responsibility here. They went Absolutely. back to that door twice and convinced that girl to get in the car. Yeah. So. So. You know, that, this
1: that, is this is one of the many times that if they didn't want to be involved they could have left yeah. this could have been over and done with right then and there absolutely and i think it says something too that melinda Lovelace was really upset like angry screaming at the girls when they came back without shonda the first time mm-hmm. uh I-, I think that says something about intimidation really it says ah. you know this girl's a little crazy we just think she's gonna intimidate her but i think like matt said it's one of those times where you really wonder what made them go go on you know what did they think was going to happen at that point because they were all willing to go back to that house and you know as far as what they said they knew at this point they only thought melinda loveless was going to threaten share and like yell at her and maybe there would be a fight um that that's what they said but we'll see what happens so um so basically they said shonda told them to come back so the girls went to a concert um, in the park a little bit outside of where Shonda lived. Um, she, it was in Louisville, Kentucky, and attended a punk rock show by the band Sunspring at the Audubon State Park near Interstate 65. So during the ride back to Shonda's, which was obviously later in the night, uh, it was about 12:30 a.m. when they arrived, uh, Loveless mentioned in the car, uh, that she could not wait to kill Cher. Now, the girls also said earlier in the day, she just said she wanted to frighten her. But I think it says something. Again, like Matt said, it really shows where the intent is when you say you're going to kill someone. I mean, I guess, like, I always joke and say, like, when Matt was a little late today, I said, I'm going to kill him. But I didn't mean it. But I feel like this is different because she had a knife. (laughs) You If you'd have showed me the
2: knife, I might have (laughs) believed you.
1: Like, if I said that about Matt and showed Hannah a knife... I don't think we'd be sitting here right now. I think she'd be I like, "Matt, get I out." <laughs> <laughs> I like Hannah,
2: would you me. have called me and told me, "Yeah, don't come." Yeah, get I mean, out. This
1: is the first
0: time I've like met
2: Matt in a while. <laughs> yeah, so. it's been a while. You might have just been like, "I'll see what happens." Yeah. That's maybe that's maybe how, she won't do it. Maybe that's how Lawrence and Rippy were feeling. Like this bitch is crazy. Yeah. But I don't think she's really gonna do it.
1: Yeah, like, and like they knew she had a history of being a little crazy, like you said. I mean, yeah. I don't like to use the word crazy. No, we hate in, to over. in that yeah. In that way, but I mean, not in a derogatory sense, but just like she's a little. We'll also, lose. if they
0: were at a concert or anything, were these girls, were they drinking at all? Was there anything at I don't
1: believe so. I know it said in one of the reports that... Tony and uh, Hope (laughs) fooled around with some guys. Yeah,
2: yeah, that was mentioned at the concert. But I didn't know if that was
1: necessary to put it in there or not. I didn't know, like, I mean, obviously, again, it speaks to the fact that they had so many opportunities to go do something else. Like, go hang out with those guys. What are you doing? So anyways, they got back to Shonda's at 12.30 a.m. On the ride back to Shonda's, Mm -hmm. Loveless did mention that she was excited to kill Cher. Or she could not wait, which I take as I'm excited because I cannot wait. Cause I you know. Like I said, she also said that she intended to use the knife to just frighten her. So when they arrived at Shonda's house, Lawrence refused to retrieve Cher. And that also kind of confuses me because I, I want to know why. Because you participated in everything else, so I want to know why wouldn't you go to get her. Maybe you thought it was a joke. Maybe you just t- tired and lazy. I don't know. But I don't know. It kind of like stuck out to me that she refused to help go get her because that was part of the plan. So Tackett and Rippy went to the door and Loveless hid under a blanket in the back seat of the car with a doll knife. When they first got there, Shonda was waiting for the girls, but she was still hesitant to go with them. Rippy told her that Heverin, which again was the plan, was still at the witch's castle waiting for her. She agreed after changing her clothes that she'd go with them. Like I said, she was hesitant at first to accompany these girls. And that also makes me wonder, you know, What was going through her mind? You're you're going in the car with what four strangers? You don't you only know one of them, and they're not there that you know of. It's one of those things where it's. I don't know. It's just I don't think I would go meet my boyfriend in a castle picked up by his three friends
2: or two friends. You know, it's yeah,
1: but it's sixteen. I guess yeah, that's right. You don't really 12. think about twelve. Out. Girl
2: was twelve. Yeah, yeah. At twelve
1: years older. old. Romeo and Juliet. Absolutely. Yeah, couple of
2: you're older right, girls you're right, come right. pick you up. I mean, we I guess it would
1: be fun there. to like oh I snuck out and like met yeah, up with the girl that I love. About.
2: Yeah. I think you'll hear us reference throughout "Eye for an Eye" a lot of different <laughs> times. How many times it comes down to one decision? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like you know, it's all about the one poor choice you make or the one bad friendship you shouldn't have formed or should have kept yeah Uh, absolutely and this and this is
1: one of those cases where i've really struggled with the sentencing and we'll get again into that later um i've gone back and forth a bunch of times but anyways so um she was reluctant to go with them yet agreed to after you know changing her clothes um once they were on their way to the car rippy so hope rippy started questioning share about her relationship with heaven and this was believed to be to trigger Loveless. So, obviously, the three girls knew that. Melinda Loveless was hiding under the covers in the back seat of this car. I wasn't... I didn't get any information on what car... What kind of car it was. <laughs> but I can't imagine... Like, I don't know. How How would you hide in, like, a normal car? Like, I feel like it had to have been, like, an SUV, Must or, have been something. An SUV or something. Um, she was just in the trunk. <laughs> it's just, yeah. But, like, how would she pop out of the trunk while they're driving? Yeah, like, you know, it was like a... Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so... Loveless and under on a blanket in the back seat of the car with that knife. Rippy began questioning Cher about her relationship. And like I said, this was believed to trigger off Loveless. Loveless, having heard enough, sprang out from the back seat uh, and put the knife to Cher's throat. and being questioning her about her sexual relationship with Hevren. They took a sobbing Cher in and bound her arms and leg with rope. Now, obviously, she was sobbing because she's being threatened with a knife with a crazy... Oh, not crazy. What? In the adjective sense, an unstable girl who's screaming at her about a relationship and like we've mentioned before melinda Lovelace had threatened shonda before so i can only imagine that finally this girl's holding a knife to your throat has threatened to kill you a few times you're pretty scared you know you're you're pretty you're you think i mean i would think it
2: was real if anyone held a i think by now throat. she knew she was in trouble
1: for yeah, sure and so they bound her arms and legs with rope at the witch's castle Lovelace taunted that shonda had pretty hair and wondered how pretty she would look if they were to cut it off which I think is a definite stab to the femininity of, of a woman. You know, if someone cut off my hair, that's definitely a blow. Like, I know that's a hard a hard thing for some women to deal with, especially when you're a young girl. You know, you, you that's when you really start to care about your appearance, I feel. Uh, that's when, like, it becomes evident that that's something that's important. Well, in the mainstream media, important. Hopefully we're getting away from that. But I frightened Sherry even more when she was threatening to cut off her hair. And she began stripping Ashonda of her rings and her jewelry um, and handed it to the other girls who put them on, uh, which is a little sick. Like, it's a little weird, I just don't understand. But Tackett, like I said, we'll get into, you know, the background of these girls later, uh, sick of the childish games. And remember, she was the oldest one there. She was 17 years old and it was her car that they all drove mm-hmm. to do all of this. Um, she was sick of the childish games and started describing the dungeon to Cher, claiming that it was filled with human remains and describing that Cher would be next. So to further threaten Cher, then retrieved from the car a shirt with a smiley design on it and lit it on fire, but immediately feared that the fire would be spotted by a passing car. So think about that, that's how close they were to the road at this point when they're doing all this. So they got back in the car and left with Cher. So during the car ride, Cher continued begging them to take her back home. Tackett turned on a boombox sitting on her lap that played opera and mimicked Cher acting like she was crying and laughed what she called her devil laugh which again we're gonna get into these girls backgrounds later. Tackett's definitely one that's very very interesting and very very confusing to go into. So Loveless ordered Cher to slip off her bra which she then handed over to Rippy who slid off her own bra and replaced it with Cher's while steering the car. Now when I read this I don't I don't get this. Like, I, I feel like it's definitely a way to demean her, but, like, why put it on? Like, it's a little sick. It's, like, a very twisted. It's very confusing, I think. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but it's just a really weird part of the story, but I felt like it's it's just another way to demean Shonda.
0: Well, they took her jewelry. Yeah, which is, and her watch. And her watch. So they're taking her things from her.
1: Yeah, so they're, like, slowly stripping her of, like, I'm guessing. I feel like it's, like, of her dignity, honestly. It's just, like... It's like, we're we're in charge of you now. You know, that kind of thing. But why would she put it on? That's just so weird to me.
0: Just because she probably got caught up in the heat of the moment. Yeah. Like, just doing whatever she yeah. could.
1: And just kind of like... Well, because they're, they, not they're, they're
0: probably all really excited at this point. Yeah, a journal I don't think sure. anyone really knows that they're going to kill her. Yeah. So they're just trying to scare her. Yeah. And make it just creepy as hell. Very much like the Stanford prison experiment. And they just like...
1: We definitely very, need to do that very one. Very and they just
0: got to carried
1: away with all the things that they could do. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, where it's like an authority. That's such a good comparison, because it's like, you get so caught up in the role you're playing, even if you don't realize what that role's going to lead to, because I think that's exactly what happened in the Stanford person experiment. I think
2: sadism is a mob mentality, too, you know? It becomes... A bob mentality? Mob. Mob mentality.
1: Oh, Lord, I was like, what?
2: No, I think it really is. I mean, once you see one person enjoying something like that and finding yeah, it I'm okay, kind of you kind of want to be like, well, you know. And they're
0: like, trying try to impress
1: each other. Like,
2: right. oh, you
0: took
1: her rings. I'm taking her wrong. Yeah. A and yeah. and you know. Hannah and I go way back, like, to when we were really little, like, kindergarten, preschool age. And I feel like we've had situations like that where there was four of us and one of us would go, oh, well, definitely me. It was definitely me. Hannah, <laughs> Hannah was yeah. the ringleader. But I would go along. Like, Hannah used to make me jump down her wooden stairs. And they were, like, 20. 20 stairs, wooden stairs. So it's a steep jump for a little girl. I was scared shitless, but Hannah was like, let's do this. We're going to do this. And when we'd have sleepover parties, everyone would do it. So I was that girl who was like, I'm going to do it. I don't know if we'd take it to murder, but I think at this point, you're absolutely right. That's kind of what was going on. It was one of those, I'm with four girls. They're all doing it. It must be okay. It's it's harmless right now. Side note, my sleepover parties were lit when I was little. Continue. absolutely were. All right. So back to all of this. Um do, 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 do. okay. So they became lost and stopped for directions at a gas station, which again I think is very important. This is yet another time where any of the four girls could have stopped this. Could have told someone, could have gone into the gas station, made their player refuse to even get back in the car and called the cops later. But at this point, like we've mentioned, I do think it was that mob mentality. They covered Cher in a blanket when they were at the gas station that she was tied up, so obviously she couldn't get out. While Tackett went inside to ask for directions, Lawrence called a boy she knew in Louisville and chatted for several minutes to ease her worries, but did not mention Cher's abduction. Another, yet another point where this could have been avoided. You're on the phone with a boy. You chat for several minutes, but yet you don't mention that you guys have abducted someone, tied her up, threatened her, and it's getting a little bit more serious. So that's, this is Tony Lawrence who gave that call, and I think it's... Super important to note that this is yet another time when the girls could have gone for help. Okay, so now is, like I've said, a gazillion times where it gets really sad, really horrible. So here we go. Sorry, guys, my dogs are here. So if you hear weird noises, it's because they're attention whores. All right, so Tackett led them to a dark garbage dump off a lodging road in a densely forested area.
2: Mm.
1: Which is concerning because why did she know that this place was here? I could probably not find a dark garbage dump off a lodging road if i tried so I'm i just want to mention
2: there also that shows um just for tack it a little bit of premeditation if we yeah, do not have that before uh let's find that <laughs> random yeah. place where nobody can see us or hear anyone scream yeah and just...
1: know exactly where it is so lawrence and Herbie were frightened and stayed in the car again this this is so confusing to me why this all happened so if they were scared I don't understand what happened next. So, Loveless and Tackett made Cher strip naked again in an effort to humiliate her and scare her. And Loveless beat Cher with her fists. Loveless repeatedly slammed Cher's face into her knee, which cut Cher's mouth on her own braces. If you've had braces, you can imagine right now what that would have felt like. It's horrible. Okay, Loveless tried to slash Cher's throat, but the knife was too dull. Now, can you just for real quick imagine how scary that would be oh. first of all and like it's like a paper cut like dude you just slide anything against my skin i freak the fuck out so yeah. like i can't even and that's it's ooh, it's so scary and like at that point everybody in this car should know that the intent is murder you don't try to slit someone's throat to just scare them that's not the way that works and the girls were in the car and i'm imagining they were watching this happen <sighs> rippy came out of the car to hold down share Loveless and Tackett took turns stabbing Shara in the chest. They strangled Shara with a rope until she was unconscious, placed her in the trunk of the car, and then told the other two girls that Shara was dead. So at this point, they believe that Shara had passed away from the strangulation. Again, I think it's culpability here. They say they were scared and stayed in the car, yet Hope came out of the car and held down Shara while they stabbed her. That is absolutely horrific this poor girl and it, it gets it just gets worse honestly and it's horrible and it's just it's un- it's inconceivable it's inconceivable so the girls drove to tackett's nearby home and went inside to drink soda and clean themselves now mind you she's shonda's in the trunk of this car and they think she's passed away when they realized shara was screaming in the trunk tackett went out with a paring knife. And stabbed her several more times. Tackett came back a few minutes later covered with blood. And this makes you wonder, where the hell was their parents? I don't
0: know. Um,
1: I guess this was in the middle of the night. At 2.30 a.m., Lawrence and Rippy stayed behind as Tackett and Lovelace went country cruising, as they called it, driving to nearby town of Cannon. Shara continued to make crying and gurgling noises. Again, she is in the trunk of this car. Guys, my dog just wants to sing to you for a moment. Please, let us have a little intermission of Peanuts songs. (laughs) Cher continued to make crying and gurgling noises, so Tackett stopped the car. When they opened the trunk, Cher sat up, covered in blood, and her eyes were rolled back in the back of her head, but she was unable to speak. This Mm -hmm. understandably shocked the girls because they believed this girl was dead. Uh, so Tackett beat her with a tire iron until she was silent. This is insane to me so this this whole case is crazy but it's just horrifying that this little girl survived for such a long time and we'll keep getting into it a little bit further but it's just it's incredible how long this girl survived the will to live is a powerful thing.
2: She died over several hours definitely that's that's oh a
1: yeah whole day. night a whole yeah, night day. I believe it was like 12 14 hours something like that crazy yeah, Probably. Yeah, so 2.30 a.m., they beat her in the head with a tire iron until she was silent in the back of the trunk. And this is when they did slam the trunk on her head when she sat up. So, Loveless and Tackett returned to Tackett's house just before daybreak to clean up again. Rippy asked about Cher, and Tackett laughingly described the torture. This girl is sick, honestly. The conversation woke up Tackett's mother, who yelled at her daughter for being out late and bringing home the girls. So Tackett agreed to take them home. So this is crazy. They're in a house where there is a mother and there is a girl in the trunk of Tackett's car outside. That's insane. And again, yet another time that these girls could have spoken up and done something for her. So she drove to the burn pile where they opened the trunk to stare at Cher. Lawrence refused. Rippy sprayed Cher with Windex and taunted, you're not looking so hot now, are you? And now let's take her pants off and get to it, ladies. This is sick. This is not just torture, it's torment, it's it's humiliation, it's horrible. And so Shonda would call out Melinda's name in a gurgled voice, and the last word she would muster was mommy. Until Lori whacked her in the head with a tire iron again. So this girl is still alive during all of this, being beaten, being stabbed, being strangled um it's just insane so and
2: uh that wasn't her cause of death we'll get into that too it's coming up here she's still not dead um so the
1: girls drove to a gas station in nearby madison consolated high school pumped some gasoline into the car and bought a two liter bottle of pepsi yet another time where these girls could have asked for help could have told somebody could have called the police could have run away really anything yet none of them did And we'll talk about, you know, why we think that later for all of these girls. I think all of them have a different mindset. But so he took this two-liter bottle of Pepsi. Tackett poured out the Pepsi and refilled the bottle with gasoline. They then drove north of Madison past Jefferson Proving Ground to Lemon Road off of U.S. Route 421, a place known to Rippy. Lawrence remained in the car while Tackett and Rippy wrapped Cher, who was still alive and naked, Aside from her underwear and a blanket and carried her into a field by the Gravel County Road. Tackett made Rippy pour gasoline on Cher and then they set her on fire. So both times now Rippy has sprayed her with Windex uh into her wounds and wrapped her in a blanket and poured gasoline on her. So that's what Hope Rippy has done thus far, along with you know other parts of the beating, but those are the parts where, you know, really culpability comes into play for Hope Rippy. Loveless demanded that they go back because Shonda wasn't burning enough. Lori spun the car around and pulled up beside Shonda's burning body, and Melinda got out of the car alone and stood over Shonda, staring at her severely charred condition for a few moments. Melinda later, this part haunted me, and I had nightmares about it because, like I said, I read this case when I was in high school. I actually did a paper on this case, actually, about Lori Tackett. That's a side note because I was crazy, and my teacher liked my paper so much, but he said it was so morbid, but he read it to the class and it did detail part of this crime. He oh. read yeah, he read my paper to the class in the grade below us. I remember Michael he saying, we heard, your, we heard your paper, it's really fucked up. Anyways, <laughs> <laughs> he said he read your paper in class and you have, you're really fucked up. And so, well, he's
2: right, um, right. this
1: is the part, like I said, that stuck with me. Melinda later recounted in court, she was burned to a crisp. You couldn't recognize her. I mean, she was totally crisp black. I was sick. I'm sick. Then Melinda poured the rest of the gasoline on her and quickly climbed back into the car. Melinda <clears throat> laughed about how Shonda's tongue was darting in and out of her mouth and praised her death, relieved to have her rival out of her and Amanda's lives. Now, so this that, is...
2: Just let me interject here. This is when she finally died. Her cause of death, according to the sure. official coroner's report, was death by burning
1: soot in her lungs so that in told the coroners that she passed away from smoke inhalation yes which means this poor girl this poor baby angel died from breathing in the fumes of her own body lit on fire
2: yes after being beaten
1: stabbed strangled stabbed,
2: strangled i mean just vilified not only that i mean just completely
1: chemicals poured in your wounds yeah but the part that got me like i said was the tongue darting in and out of her mouth I don't know why that freaked me out so bad, but it was a death throw. I mean, I don't know if any of you guys know what happens when you die, but your body, you know, s- starts to lose control, and that's what happened to Shonda here. And so, yes, yeah, she did pass away with soot in her lungs, and the coroner said so she did pass away from smoke inhalation. So this is also fucking sick to me, to be honest. Excuse my French, but the girls went to a McDonald's restaurant at 9.30 a.m. for breakfast where they laughed about Shonda's, Shonda looking like one of the sausages that they were eating. That makes me sick to think about right now and I'm not physically eating sausage right now. These girls were at Mc fucking Donald's eating sausage, joking, joking, which means there were giggles involved yeah. about Shonda's, a human being's body looking like the sausage that they were eating. That's fucking sick on a whole nother slew of levels. So Lawrence was horrified and phoned a friend and told her about the murder. So now we're starting to see, I think, honestly, I think, like you guys said, it was the mob mentality. I think it's starting to set in what actually had happened. I think it was all, like, fun and games and shock. I don't think they thought, I don't think some of these girls thought. I thought Tackett and Loveless, I think they kind of knew and were expecting how far it was going to go and wanted it to go that far. I don't necessarily think the other two girls did, and we'll get into that in a second. So Tackett dropped off Lawrence and Rippy at their homes and returned to her own home with Loveless. She told Heverin that they killed Shonda and arranged to pick up Heverin later that day. A friend of Lovelace's, Crystal Wathin, came over to Lovelace's house and they told her what had happened. Then the three girls drove to pick up Heverin and bring her back to Lovelace's house where they told Heverin the story. Heverin says and claims she did not believe them. She didn't believe it was true until um, she was confronted by the hysterical Loveless. Both Hevron and Watham became convinced when Tackett showed them the trunk of the car with Shonda's bloody handprints and the socks still there. Heverin was horrified and asked to be taken home. But please note, she did not call the cops. Uh, when they pulled up in front of her house, Loveless kissed Heverin and told her she loved her and pleaded her not to tell anyone. Hevron promised that she would not before entering her house. All right, so now we're getting into the trial. So, all four girls had troubled backgrounds with claims of physical or sexual abuse committed by a parent or other adult. Hope Rippy Tony Lawrence, and Lori Tackett had histories of self-harming behavior. Tackett was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder and suffering from hallucinations. So, that can describe a lot of, you know, where Tackett was coming from with all of this. Um, Melinda uh, Loveless.
2: She was a victim also, I just want to mm-hmm. say. Yes. Yeah, of. Um, Okay, so we're, we're... We're getting ready. there. All right. Excellent. We're getting there. Just wanted to make sure yeah. we were going to mention that as well, because that is definitely... Yeah, it, these
1: girls, as Matt touched on a little bit earlier, they all have a hell of a past, which, you know, might bring into the conversation of how we think this child should have gone and how it did gone, and discussing what we think would have been a fair sentence for all these girls. So, all of them had crazy pasts, horrifying pasts. Tackett, like I said, was diagnosed with borderline personality disorder, and a... Um, and suffering from hallucinations. Melinda Lovelace, often described as the ringleader of the attack, had the most extensive history of abuse and mental health issues, which we'll get into in a second. Lovelace's mom often tried to commit suicide, and Melinda had witnessed numerous accounts of sexual, verbal, and physical abuse. While Melinda never speaks of her sexual abuse, various court testimonies, both through this trial and others, uh, describe Melinda's father sexually abusing her and her siblings. Did you read anything else about Melinda Lovelace? I
2: did, yeah. There actually was... Uh further down the line her father was eventually arrested and charged with having assaulted his children multiple counts of it too and there were several people that weighed in on that and said that they had heard of him having been inappropriate with kids Uh, i think he was eventually exonerated of that Mm -hmm. i think you're right um there was definitely a history of abuse verbal and physical by a lot of different accounts and as we said you know this case when it Eventually came to the public light. It really freaked out a lot of people because of their age, number number one of all. But uh, just the brutality of it all, I think, and we keep touching on how much that really. This was like this twelve case. to
1: fourteen hours of pure torture. Yeah.
2: So you have to wonder how much of their mental state. Was, yeah. was in order. I mean, and, really. and
1: to go on with the other girls that were involved, uh, we want to touch on their backgrounds really quickly. And then, yes. like I said, you have to wonder the mental state of these people. We already know Tackett suffered from hallucinations and borderline personality disorder, which is not always violent whatsoever. Um, I don't want to ever stigmatize a mental illness, but it definitely, I think, played a role in this attack and, and her in her part of this attack.
0: Especially when it goes untreated.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I and I don't think it was in this case. It says here, Tackett claimed that she was molested at least twice as a child, ages 5 and 12. In May 1989, her mother discovered that Tackett was changing into jeans at school and after a confrontation that night, attempted to strangle her. Like I said, this was Tackett's mother tried yeah. to kill her. And I think it was also possibly because she didn't approve of the sexuality. It doesn't really extensively state if Tackett was... Or not, but I think that's why her mom tried to kill her.
2: We get the sense that there was definitely some confusion there.
1: Taggett may have had some confusion with, you yeah. know, her identity. And
2: no, I just want to also mention about Lori Taggett specifically. She was uh, kind of mischievous, as what I read a little bit about her. Um, little yeah, a bit of troublemaking. She would past. tell
1: people she was possessed by the spirit of Deanna the vampire. Yeah. Um, so. she said she. It says she became increasingly rebellious. Uh, after her 15th birthday and also became fascinated with the occult. Mm -hmm. She would often attempt to impress her friends, like I said, pretending to be the spirit of Deanna the Vampire. She began to engage in self-harm, which is a theme between all four of these girls, especially in early 1991 when she began dating a girl who was involved in the practice. Okay, so she she did date women or girls because they were all young – so I didn't I didn't read that far to that. I forgot that point. Um, her parents discovered the self mutilation and checked her into a hospital March nineteenth, nineteen ninety one, where she was prescribed an antidepressant and released. Yeah. That does not mean she kept up with it. Which no. I she was I, mean, I do so. yeah. Two days later, with her girlfriend and Tony Lawrence, she cut her wrists deeply and was returned to the hospital. So clearly whatever medication they gave her didn't balance her the way it should have. Or she wasn't taking
2: yeah. She was not taking it, After
1: the treatment of her wound, she was admitted to the hospital psychiatric ward, and she was diagnosed again with borderline personality disorder. And confessed that she had experienced hallucinations since she was a young child. She was discharged on April twelfth, and she dropped out of high school in September nineteen ninety one. So that's kind of Tackett's background. She she was fascinated with death, dying, the occult. She would tell people she was Dean the vampire, and not like a like not like a happy. I mean I don't know if vampires are ever happy, but that's not like a like fluffy, flowery fairy princess. No, no like before Twilight. Yeah, right. this this was pre Twilight. It wasn't vampires weren't good at this time. You know, that I was a scary. I mean,
2: it shows she's clearly unstable at oh, the for very sure. least. If we're not talking about somebody that's a bit attention obsessive. Um, Absolutely. As far as possession, you know, I won't touch on that. I'm not a priest <laughs> yeah. or a called expert, but. She also made that, made the point to mention that she had felt like she had interacted with demons. Yeah. So that's something that I To note, for sure. Yeah, you know, that's noteworthy. Whether you
1: believe it, you know, believe in possession, believe, believe or in not, the devil or anything like that. You gotta know
2: that this girl did. This
1: girl, yeah, this girl definitely believed she was talking to someone that was not a, a positive figure. So, uh, Hope Rippy there wasn't much, much, much on her that I found, but she did claim that living with her family in Michigan was somewhat turbulent, and she also began to self harm at age 15. Did you find anything else about Hope?
2: I did find one interesting fact about uh, her self harm, kind of how you mentioned, and this we will touch on became a, a mitigating scene. factor in her sentence. Yeah, yeah. this was a, a common theme with all th- uh, all four of these girls, excuse me. Uh, but her <laughs> early years of just becoming kind of exposed to all of this. She was actually friends first with, I think... Tony Tony yes. Lawrence. Mm-hmm. Uh, then became introduced to Lori Tackett and then Melinda Loveless, if mm-hmm. I'm correct. So she was the one who was kind of... Um, I, I hate to say like the, the follower and wanted yeah. to kind of just be be well-liked mm-hmm. and wanted to have a few friends that were, you know... Um, I don't want to say rebellious, but she wanted to feel like a little bit of an outsider that was on the inside.
1: Yeah. That's, that's the sense I got
2: it. from her. So, you know, she... um. Lisa mentioned she was the one who wraps Shonda in a blanket. She's the one that pours gasoline on her. She attempts to help stab her. She's the one that goes to the door to get her. She wasn't involved in the planning, but she was she there shared, every step yeah. of the way, it seems like. So it kind of seemed to me like she was really set on making making a name for herself with these girls. I Absolutely. Mean, uh, Hannah, what do you think? Do you think that might have...
0: Yeah, I also think there was a point in the night where it was just so scary. Like... We have to just kill this girl. We have to see it through because of how much trouble we're gonna get in if we don't. Don't I
1: don't know. It just I agree. It's like they couldn't turn back. Exactly. Yeah. When
2: it came down to it, when well, we will talk about, you know, the point uh, we're getting to is the sentencing. Was it a fair sentence yeah. for all four girls? And we will talk about that. And yeah. the
1: sentencing obviously does differ based on you right, know.
2: based on culpability. So there was a point, like Hannah said, where this. Um, This night could have gone very differently for all of these girls. Yeah,
1: and we touched on it a bunch of times that there were at least five different times within the night where they were not actively harming Shanda, where where they could have very well run away, spoken out. And and it begs the question, why didn't they? And we'll get into that in a minute, you know, what we think about that. But let's get into the last, you know, uh, player here, uh, Tony Lawrence. So she uh, was close friends with Hope Rippey from childhood, so they knew each other the longest out of all of the girls. She was abused by a relative at age nine and was raped by a teenage boy at age 14, although the police were only able to issue an order to keep the boy away from Lawrence. He did not get arrested. She went into counseling and after the in- after the incident and did not follow through. And she became promiscuous, began to self-harm, and attempted suicide in the eighth grade. So. Like I've touched on, all of these girls had a history of self harm, had a history of some kind of abuse. The least of the abuse I found would have been Hope Rippy. I mean, maybe she didn't dive into it as much as she could have, as you know, we have a little bit more extensive background on the other girls. However, it, it is kind of ironic to me because. Levels of culpability, I do, in my personal opinion, and again, we'll get into this in a second, but I do believe it's Loveless, Tackett, Rippy, Lawrence. And the reason I say that is because Hope Rippy, like Matt mentioned, was an active participant in a lot of these torture, you know, a lot of the abuse to Shonda. Whereas Tony Lawrence, it she didn't really participate as much as the other girls.
2: Right. So I actually, I'm glad you mentioned that, Lisa. That is a good segue into what I wanted to mention. Rippy and... Loveless were the three girls who we think were the most culpable. I think we can all agree on that. It was Lawrence who uh, the next day went to the police, Mm -hmm. confessed gave a full statement and actually was the one that testified in court Uh, but I do want to mention that all four of these girls were charged as adults with first degree murder. Mm -hmm. So even though after the fact of Lawrence coming in, she confessed she made sure to say, you know, I was there, I was a part of it, but I didn't ever wanted to happen that is noted noted in her case um, but i wanted to say that all of these girls being charged as adults uh, we look at sentencing one of the big things we see is always age is a mitigating factor you know because it's can we really assume Something that a child was responsible for what they've done and or how much can we assume a child or was how responsible? much has your
1: brain developed you right. know how much the influenced and like we said you know the mob mentality I think that's more prominent in young people, you know. When you're younger, it's harder to say no to a group of girls convincing you to do something. Although these weren't super young girls, I mean, Shonda being the youngest of them, yeah. but they were all really young.
2: Teenagers, yeah. And I mean, nothing more than nobody young, older than 17, nobody younger than 15. So let's just talk about it. Let's go right into it. As we said, Lawrence confessed. She actually...
1: She was allowed she, to plead guilty. She pled out,
2: yeah. She ended up pleading it out, confessed and cooperated. And was sentenced to 20 years.
1: Yes, it says she pled guilty to one count of criminal confinement, which, do you know what that's... And and it's a step below
2: kidnapping, essentially. It's, so uh, she didn't
1: get charged with murder because right. she, she was the one who brought she it She was head. initially
2: charged with murder and then and pled they, that down to criminal okay. confinement, yes. So she was not... Um, and do you
1: think that had something to do with her being the one to bring this all forward, to kind absolutely. of bring it to a head and, you absolutely. know, really convict the other girls? She's the one who gave all their names.
2: Correct. And and we will The day say after. That. <laughs> we will say that for her. At least she did have Some the, the of. sense of mind and probably the conscientiousness of guilt and doubt that she was... She killed the person, you know. She mm-hmm. found, you know, found herself in a terrible situation, but at least she took the time to get out of it. So we do want to say then here, uh, Rippy was sentenced to sixty years. So sent, or I'm sorry, Tackett was also sentenced to sixty years, and Loveless was also sentenced to sixty years for first degree murder. They were all found guilty in court. All held up on appeal after all three of their attorneys actually did move. To have these wiped out and moved to family court, which I did want to mention, I found that really interesting because they were young, they were just kids. All of their attorneys had grounds to move for that, but none of them obviously were successful. Mm -hmm. So I did just want to say I thought
1: this was interesting for Rippy at least a judge reduced the sentence to 35 years Yes, And then for the other two girls They had the they had the maximum time reduced for good behavior as an option and they could potentially be released in 2020 Something interesting. I also read uh, in regards to appealing the case because like Matt said all these girls did hire attorneys and did appeal their cases I thought this was interesting. In October 2007, Lovelace's attorney, Mark Small, requested a hearing to argue for his client's release. He said that Lovelace had been profoundly retarded by childhood abuse. Moreover, she had not been represented competently by counsel during her sentencing, which caused her to accept a plea bargain in the face of an exaggerated claim about her chances of receiving the death penalty. Right. So I thought that was really interesting and she they also argued that she was 16 years old when she signed the plea agreement and was too young to enter into a contract with the state of Indiana without consent from a parent or a guardian which had not been obtained. If the judge accepted those arguments, Lovelace could have been retired or released that day. Yes. Obviously that didn't happen. <laughs>
2: You're right. Thank goodness. That that ruling was quashed.
1: So. Yeah. Um, and I also saw that on January 8th, 2008, Lovelace's request was rejected. Instead, Lovelace will be eligible for eligible for parole in 15 years, thus maintaining the original guilty plea.
2: Yes. Now, in sentencing of these three women, um, Hope Rippy, Lori Tackett, Melinda lovelace the judge considered several mitigating factors, their criminal histories being the first. All of them had, I think, some minor offenses on their records. Uh, the accounts of sexual abuse in all four, he considered that for all of their cases in their favor because that was brought up at trial their propensity for self-harm especially in three of the girls with noted cases that they had attempted suicide considered an attempted suicide and then their age finally at the time of the murders Mm -hmm. so as we said they were charged with first degree murder none of them were sentenced to life in prison none of them were sentenced to life without parole or ultimately death so that i want to say is a really interesting part piece of trial here yeah that that came to this because uh, torture is a mitigating factor in sentencing I wanted to mention that I have a star here by that in my notes that the brutality of the crime torture sadism those are all mitigating factors that in sentencing must be considered either by a judge or by a jury Uh, so we see that extensively and then some here so we're going to have to talk a little bit about what do we think when we ask that ultimate question, yeah. was it fair or not? We're going to ask, uh, was torture more important here or was it their age and their own personal I histories? I some
1: feelings about that. But, um, definitely. it says that both Loveless and Tackett are currently still serving their original sentences. However, I did find it interesting. Indiana has a policy of reducing sentences by a day for every day served with good behavior, which is is kind of infuriating, and we'll go into the way I feel about that in a minute, but with that that being a factor in their sentencing, with good behavior, both Lori Tackett and Melinda Loveless could be released from prison in 2020, which back then in 2008 sounds like decades later, but now we're coming up on, mm-hmm. what, three, four years. Yeah, like they could be walking free in three, four years, and uh, Loveless would be 46 and Tackett would be 47, and I think that's really, you know, honestly, uh, Kind of frightening. I mean, I, we'll go into you know how they're doing now, everything that's gone on since. But Tony Lawrence was actually released on December fourteenth, two thousand, after serving only nine years. She remained on parole until December two thousand two. I think it's interesting because we've she was the one who immediately brought this all to head. Hours after this all happened, she broke and you know confessed it all. And Hope Rippy on April twenty eighth, two thousand six, that's Hannah's birthday. Hope Rippy was released from the Indiana Women's Prison on parole after serving only 14 years of her original sentence. She remained on supervised parole for five uh. years. So, uh, Hope Rippy out of the, you know, the two girls who had lesser of a role in this murder were both released. Um, but Hope did get a substantial amount more time than Tony Lawrence and I do think that's deserved. I don't we'll talk about how I feel about the sentence things in general, but I do think because she played more of a role in the actual torture and the, you know, many times that they didn't go for help, I do think I'm happy she at least served 14 years. Yes. You know, at least I'm happy that she was taken away for that amount of time.
2: A good portion of her adult Absolutely. life has been spent in jail.
1: And, and it's hard to say how I feel about all this, and we'll go into that in a second here, but I do think if I had to choose one of the girls... To get paroled after the shortest amount of time, I would choose Tony Lawrence if we consider the role in the crime. So before we get into what we feel on the you know the eye for eye uh, whole spiel here, I wanted to go over how she uh, actually did go on a talk show. Actually, obviously caught my attention. I don't know if anyone's a Doctor Phil fan. Uh, a lot of people don't like him. However, um, <laughs> I like watching a show not because I necessarily agree with what he says and does, but he covers he covers cases like this. And like I've mentioned a bazillion times, which is why I even do this podcast, I'm so interested in crime and I'm interested in, you know, what everyone and anyone has to say if I agree with them or not. I'm interested. But Hope did go on Dr. Phil and spoke to Shonda's mom and her Shonda's sister. Now, I can't even imagine what those two were going through. I know it took a lot of time for them to come out and face her. So basically, the key points on Dr. Phil said she she didn't know what she could have done differently. She understands her part in the crime and she knows she was the one who lured Shonda from her home. You know, she drove the car, she knows she poured the gasoline on her moments before the end of her life. She knows she sprayed Windex on her and she also knows she never stopped when she could have gotten help. She said, and I quote, I know my actions ultimately resulted in Shonda dying. I do believe that I could have saved Shonda's life. And I think if I was Shonda's mom, that would infuriate me. My dog is vocal about it as well. It would infuriate me. And She, Shonda's family did say, You were there when she was stabbed. You were there when she was hit in the head. You were there when she was lit on fire. You participated in the setup and the dousing of the gas. So I'm just a follower, just doesn't cut it. And I agree with him. And Hope didn't really give a good answer. And I think with closure, with anything, if you can't explain your actions, even if you don't really have an explanation, it's bullshit. It's bullshit. I mean, you could say you don't really know what you're doing, but you, you, literally just said, you know you played a part in this girl's death. Yeah, well
0: I think her not being able, her like still after all of these years, after her prison sentence, not being able to Cop. talk about it, not being able to say like I think what I did was wrong and all of these things I could have changed, I think that just shows that prison wasn't where she needed to be, she needed to be in a mental health facility. Facility. And this, and her saying all that stuff leads me to believe that she never should have been released from prison. I agree. didn't see that what she did could have been stopped.
2: I wonder how a parole board let her get past them if she wasn't able to even. And she said a few
1: times, I know that from the moment it began to the moment it ended, I could have stopped this. And Dr. Phil did remind Hope within this segment that she was alone for at least four hours without any threat of harm. Because remember, Melinda Lovelace and Lori Tackett went on a joyride, that country joyride, and they did nothing to alert the authorities or get help for Shonda. Which we've Even mentioned at that times. point, if you're just a
0: follower, you're going to call your mom. Yeah. Like, like, why did you she not call anyone? Go home. Something's going on.
1: I mean, you have to think not only were they alone for four hours, but they went back with the girls to light Shonda's body on fire. That's. Right. That, yeah, to like, me, makes every single one of them responsible. Right. You know, you you were alone for four hours, which we've touched on a gazillion times, and you didn't do anything. You had at least five opportunities where you weren't with these girls, weren't threatened by them to get help, um, and you didn't. And, and that makes me sick that she, one, is aware that she could have done something to stop this, and two, that she she knows from the moment it began to the moment that it ended that she could have done something to stop it. and. And her response repeatedly is she didn't know why she did what she did and she didn't have to do what she did. That's such a bullshit response. It's I don't care if you were zero. It's such a bullshit response. And I think that, that like Hannah said, that tells me that she should be locked up somewhere. I don't know if that's a mental health facility, back in jail. Obviously, you can't do that. Um, And and something I found really depressing before we go into what we feel is uh, Stephen Sharer, Shonda's father, died of alcoholism in 2005 at the age of 53. It was reported that he was extremely depressed following the death of his daughter and according to his wife, drank himself to death. Another interesting point in 2012, Shonda Sharer's mom, which I actually watched a documentary on this, not a documentary, a news report on this, Jackie Vaught made her first contact with Melinda Lovelace since the trials, although indirectly. So, Basically, right now, Melinda Loveless works in her prison as a dog rehabilitator, Um, so she gets uh, dogs that uh, that have been, you know, abused, and she gets donated a dog for her to train for the Indiana Canine Assistance Network Program, which provides service pets to people with disabilities, which creeps me out that this woman is training people's pets that can potentially save their lives. I guess it's turning over a new leaf, maybe. But it, it kind of, I don't know, this case really pisses me off. And so it it pisses me off that this girl, I mean, I guess it's great that she gets to do good. She gets to help people with disabilities, you know, get their service animals. And it's interesting that every year Shonda's mom donates a dog for her to for her to rehabilitate. And she had to say about it, um, it's my choice to make Shonda's my child. If you don't like good things come from bad things, nothing gets better. And I know what my child would want. My child would want this. Uh, and so she stated she hopes to donate a dog every year in honor in honor of Shonda. So let's get into what we think. Yep. Um, let's, let's ask
2: that ultimate question: Eye for an eye was this a fair sentence? Someone would we four times so. rather
1: than be taken out back and tortured to death? Yeah. So again, that's a barbaric way of thinking of it, but that's what the literal definition is: Eye for an eye. And
2: that's what Hammurabi would have said. So. so
1: let's let's go through the girls. Okay, so Melinda Lovis is still currently in jail. Has the opportunity to be released on good behavior in two thousand twenty. 22?
2: 2022, I believe
1: 2022. Yeah. And she um, was sentenced
2: to 60 years. 60 this years. Was in 92. Oh. She would have served then, what, 27 years of her 60-year sentence. Oh, that
1: pisses me off. All right, so.
2: <laughs> Am I right with that? 30 years eventually? I'm, but, you're
1: asking someone who no, can't do ma- that. I count on my fingers to figure out the 90, date, Matt.
2: 92, the original crime happened. I think they were sentenced in, what, 94? So she would have served... 28 years, yeah. 27, 28 years, depending on the
1: date. <laughs> Something like that. So I'm not
2: good at math either, guys. That's why we, we study. <laughs> so any of you listening,
1: so. if you want to chime in and let us know what the actual calculations are, please feel free. So anyways, uh, my feelings on Melinda Lovelace. I think... First of all, I think her sentencing was bullshit. Um, she should have been given life. I don't care her age. I do care about her background. It does. I do think... I don't know. It's so hard because it's one thing if you shoot and kill someone, which is still a horrible crime. You tortured someone for 12 to 14 hours, tortured them, and it was planned. Yes. You 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 talked about this for you know months before it happened, even maybe years.
2: Brought a knife. You know,
1: you brought a knife. That's premeditation. You knew you were going to use that knife for something. And in the first hours of this attack, which I said it lasted so long, they tried to cut Shonda's throat. And a, a little part that I didn't mention earlier is Melinda Lovelace tried to step on the knife on Shanda's throat to try to cut her throat and it didn't work. Um, that was in the clim- crime library part of this research that I did a long time ago. Um, but I, it's hard. Be- it did say extensively that Lovelace had the worst background. Uh, she may or may not have been abused by her father. She had a lot of difficulties coming out to her parents as gay. Um, she, she had a lot of issues, but I still, I just don't, in, in this case, for Melinda Lovelace. I think her last name describes her. She's loveless, she's heartless. It's only irony that that's her last name. I think you know, it's hard for me to excuse people who who can think through things like this. And she wasn't the youngest of the bunch. She was the second oldest. She was 16 years old when all right. this happened. I do think she should have gotten life or 6 years and then made to go into a like psychiatric yeah, facility for the rest be in of a her mental life. health
0: facility immediately. I I don't think that 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 she's obviously sick. Yeah. Obviously very sick. And obviously went through a lot. Does that excuse what she did? Absolutely not. But prison wasn't what like she needs to be punished for what she did, but the only way to have helped her, like this is the dog program, great. But it, mental health yeah. yeah clearly something and was you said not that, that she was in therapy like when she was little right like, th- someone...
2: she was she did yeah she did go to therapy for so how period. did that
0: therapist not realize that this girl was Tessa. a danger to
1: herself and those around her right? well and also we've touched on she made threats to shonda before you know she made threats to people she got in fights she physically fought people clearly this girl had a knack for danger had a knack for being rough and tough and and really proving her point with her fists and you know at this point knives and and like you said where where was the attention to this i think mental health is so important and i think something was definitely missed here um i don't think you know the people in charge of her you know psychiatric care or even her parents did enough and obviously we touched on her parents being not in the best place for their daughter but it's it's still it feels like the ball was dropped and, and I feel like the system failed Melinda Lovelace. Yes. But I, I do think that she should spend the rest of
0: her life in prison. Yeah.
2: I would agree with that. I would agree with yeah, that. What do yeah. you? For Melinda, obviously she dealt with a lot coming up as a child. But as Hannah said, I don't think that's necessarily an excuse. I think it's a reason. A lot for, of people
1: deal with things. Right.
2: You know, a lot of people who have suffered abuses at the hands of their parents or somebody they love or nobody they know have come from that and have made great success stories and haven't Oprah. killed yeah oh yeah I mean uh, you know we could go down the list you know they haven't killed a 12 year old girl and tortured her for 12 hours um, now I do think I do want to mention I think it's great that she at least has tried to rehabilitate while being inside uh, do I think that after less than 30 years in jail she should be paroled absolutely not uh, that's just me I'm more for uh, lack of recidivism, I think, is caused by people not having the second chance to kill somebody. So you know, with certain things, I think that goes the opposite way. Uh, I think when it comes to murder and torture,
1: you There's don't really no pass. get yeah you don't, you, you, you don't get
2: you don't get two two chances to not mess that way. You up.
1: go to jail. You do not pass go. You do not collect two hundred dollars. Yeah,
2: you you don't get. <laughs> you there, baby. No I was passes. never good at Monopoly, but I know what you're talking about. She she <laughs> I loses. Love Monopoly. But, she um, loses for but sure. Yeah,
1: so. I just think, I just think it's, it's horrifying to think in the shoes of Shonda's family. Yeah.
0: Right.
1: Uh, it, like I said, I don't think, well, obviously there's crimes I think that are a little bit crazier and worse than others, but as, as far as, you know, torture goes and, and, you know, horrificness of the crime goes, uh, and this wasn't a quick case. This wasn't. We shot her. We took her out back and shot her. It wasn't, and that would be horrible if that was what happened, but it's it's not what happened. And that's the scariest part to me, is that these girls could be released and they tortured somebody. All right, so let's touch on Lori Tackett. Again, we did discuss that she had this obsession with the occult, had a rough, rough, rough past, was diagnosed uh, as having hallucinations and borderline personality disorder. And, and this one was hard for me because I do think she was the one most inclined to violence. I know she didn't plan this. I know um, this wasn't her brainchild, but she definitely was one of the ones who knew how serious it was going to get, I believe. I believe, you know, she knew of the plan. She knew how serious Melinda was. And I don't think she – I think she was excited to take part in it. I think this was something she's always wanted to do. She's always wanted to try killing someone. I do believe I even read that somewhere. You know, don't quote me on that. Uh, like I said,
2: no. I, I think she did say something about that that she had always wondered wanted what it would to be like to see what it was die like to yeah, kill so someone, something like that, something
1: was, wild like that. So she got the same sentence as Melinda Lovelace. I don't think either one of like like Hannah and Matt and I touched on. I don't think either any of their sentences were fit for the crime. But I do think that out of the girls, if I had to pick the two. Who needed the worst sentences? Those would be the two. Now you have to remember, it was Tackett's car. Tackett helped stab her. Tackett helped tie her up. Tackett ha- helped strip her. Tackett lit her on fire. Tackett got the gasoline. Tackett, you know, she was she hit her with a tire iron a bazillion times. Uh, didn't listen to her pleas for life. Tackett stabbed her a bunch of times. Tackett really, I feel like, was the the aggressor. I don't even think Melinda Lovelace did as much yeah, as I was going to say, if,
2: if we're going to be honest, I think she was. She more, had that thrill for the kill. Yeah, more into the idea of torturing and killing than anybody in the in the car. But, and
1: I feel like that's honestly why Melinda Lovelace roped well, her um, in. Yeah. Because I agree. she knew that this was the one person who would take this seriously. Who would who would go, you know, go for the gold, go you know to the end. Um, whereas the other girls obviously didn't help as extensively, but I do think as far, I mean, does the mastermind get a worse sentence or does the person who perpetrated the crime get a worse sentence or, um, should they have an even sentence? And it's hard because, I mean, like I said, I, I'm, I'm happy that they both got the highest sentence and they got even sentences. I just don't know how I feel about if I had to choose one to be, you know, a worse sentence, what it would be. What do you guys feel? Of their lives
2: in prison. Yeah. I think in this case, you're looking at two people who, although, and we'll touch more on that, what you said, uh, responsibility of the planner versus the carrier of the act um, with our next case, which I think you know I'm talking about. Mm-hmm. But we will. Say for this case, I think both of them are equally responsible here.
1: You he, think it's equal?
2: I do. I really do. I think Melinda Lovelace planned. One was it,
1: the brain. One was the one arms. One was the brain.
2: One was the arms. Exactly. One person was all about, you know, I'm, I'm trying to get revenge. I want to, but I don't think she was even as committed as Tackett was to You're right violence and pain and sadism. I think that was really where she, she separated herself. Yeah. So I think she was as culpable and deserving of life without parole. Both of them, I think, were, but I believe um, for the same reasons.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So let's. So I think we we're all in agreement. Both of them should have really harsh sentences. We're not pleased with either of them having the um, ability to possibly get out in 2022. But you know we can't change what has happened. Like, I wish we could, because if we were the judges and jury in this case, Lord love them. Um, you want then, to act like an adult, I will treat you like one and
0: sentence you like Yes,
2: one. Exactly.
1: absolutely. And they were tried as adults. They were tried as Which adults. Which is confusing because I get it, they got 60 years, but I feel like, you know, first degree murder is, it should be life. But anyways, so let's do Hope Rippy, who was, again, on my list, was like the third most culpable proponent in this murder. I don't think her sentence was harsh enough. I think, like Hannah said, based on her interviews after she got released, she still doesn't understand what part she played in this crime. She she knows she's culpable. She understands that she did something horrible. But for whatever reason, it doesn't feel like she's taking responsibility yeah. the way the responsibility needs to be taken. And that, to me, says you shouldn't be out of jail because you don't understand the full extent of what you did. And, and you're, you don't even understand how lucky you are to be out of jail. Now, you did serve 16 years, which may feel like a lot... Because what they were sentenced when they were fifteen, so that's half of her life at that point. Yep. I still don't think it was enough. I still think, based on her part in this crime—helping pour the gasoline on Shonda, pouring Windex on her wounds, and mocking her—I I think that's disturbing. And I think they failed with this one. I feel that I feel that she should have spent at least thirty years in prison, or at least been sentenced to something a little bit more extreme, and not been let out, you know, on whatever circumstances. Because now she gets to live a life. Uh, And, you know, Shonda doesn't. So what do you guys think?
0: I also think that these three girls were the perfect storm. Like, if each of them had not met. Like, you had the brain, the muscle, and the follower that helped all of them. But, like, had the follower been in a different group of friends? Like, what would have happened to them?
2: yes. Mm -hmm. I think that's such a great point, Hannah. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. And that's the scary thing. It's like, if we separated all these girls, would they have committed a crime? You know, would they have... Because I feel like you're right. I think they all built each other up. And I think it was also, like, you guys had touched on we, earlier, you know, the mob mentality. Like, once one girl's juiced up, you all get ready to go. You're all... Right. Like, when Hannah made me jump down the stairs and petrified me as a kid.
2: <laughs> I must have missed that party, man. Honestly, yeah. Was that sounds wild. You guys... Girls only. I <laughs> too young, man. Come on. But, um...
1: <laughs> But yeah, so I agree. And Matt, you think the same?
2: Uh, I definitely agree with both you guys on those points. Do you guys think um, she
1: should be out right now?
2: I don't. Hope, Rippy. I, I think she was given a lenient sentence, first of all. And then I agree that this was the perfect storm, perfect cocktail for a nightmare to happen. You had three girls with different motives, three girls with the same end game in mind, though. They all wanted to create some new image for themselves. I think I think Melinda Loveless wanted to be seen differently in Haverin's eyes. I think Lori Tackett wanted to be seen differently in everyone's eyes.
1: She wanted to be the devil. She wanted
2: to be vampire, whatever and (laughs) I think that... Deanna the vampire. Deanna the vampire, yes,
1: Deanna. That's what actually Hannah refers to herself. Stop, stop.
2: (laughs) Deanna the vampire. Uh, Deanna. 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 Hey, you guys are the worst. (laughs) It wasn't even clever. Um, (laughs) So I definitely think she got off a little light here though, but um, after all, we're looking at A young kid who was probably influenced by two older Mm -hmm. girls, but in the end of the day, she also... Committed a crime. Committed a crime. She committed murder. I mean, she was there, she wrapped the girl in a blanket, poured gasoline on her, and then, as we keep saying, you know, so many chances to make a phone call or to just stop this whole thing from happening, and nobody did.
1: Nope. All right, and so the last one... Well, there's actually... A surprise one that I want to touch on and get people's opinions on and then a question that I have for everyone here I mean even viewers at home or listeners at home. You're not viewing anything. Uh, you don't want to see our pretty faces right now I look like a baked potato anyways. I look good <laughs> Um. So let's go over the last sentence and then I want to like I said bring in that that other factor I want to talk about real quick. Um, so the last one's Tony Lawrence now for me personally I think all of these girls should have had a tougher sentence based on the crime. As I've said with all the other girls kind of rating them and, and how I would judge the sentencing leniency, I do believe she should have had the most lenient sentence. Because without her, who knows how long that um, investigation would have gone on, who knows if they would have found the people, who knows if that would have resulted in them reoffending? Because she, she not only confessed to the crime the morning after it happened, she named every single girl involved. She pointed the fingers at this girl, this girl, this girl, this is her last name. This is what she did. This was her part in the crime. Horrified. She was, you know, a few different times in the trial, it said that she was horrified by all of this. Why she didn't get help any of those a gazillion times. I think, as Hannah touched on, she was the follower. Now, I think she was more so of a follower than Hope Rippey because Hope Rippey did participate. But I think Tony Lawrence was like the quintessential Holy shit! What did I get myself into? I can't back out. Or they're gonna kill me. If I had to choose any of the girls, if they were all put in on an island and I had to choose one to save, it would probably be, uh, well, it would be Shonda for sure. But yeah. <laughs> yeah. But if I had to choose one of these, you know, uh, garbage cans to pick off the island, I would definitely choose, you know, Tony Lawrence because I do think she's the one that showed the most remorse. She's the one that, again, pointed the finger at these girls and, you know, got these girls taken down. So, what do you guys think? What do you think her sentence should have been? Or do you think it was right? Do you think she should have gotten out in nine years? Or six years? Was it nine years or six years? I'm nine years. Nine years. Yes,
2: nine.
0: In any crime, the person that comes forward always gets a more lenient sentence yep. because right. they are cooperating. And she cooperated. Uh, how she slept through that night, if she even slept, or if she just sat in her bed waited until her parents woke up. Honestly, no, but, um, I would have
2: sobbed the whole time. Honestly. Well, yeah. it was
1: morning time by the time Yeah, man. I wonder what that night was like for her. But... The fact that they were able to eat after this. Ooh, look, I can't even eat after watching Botched. <laughs> oh, my God. I watched that all day. <laughs> <but>. um, <laughs> yeah.
2: I... Anyone? I really believe that, well, what both of you guys said. Uh, again, I'm going to agree with both of you here. All four girls were given a lenient sentence. But I think Lawrence, as Hannah said, was definitely given more more leniency because of her willingness to cooperate and her willingness to come forward and confess to the crime.
1: Go on, Matt.
2: Also, I just want to mention um, one thing that the judge, I'm sure, considered that we also must consider, and I will touch on it one last time here, was that all of these girls dealt with Some abuse in their their background. So we don't know what that may have been. I mean, we don't know the extent of it, so we don't know what that may have been leading up to for all of them. It could have been... Definitely trauma. Yeah, it could have been much less than we think it was. It could have been much more than we think it was.
1: It could also play into their worth, you know, their self-worth. Like maybe, you know, I'm only worthy of a life like this. I'm only, you know, I'm I'm not worthy of better friends. I'm not worthy of good... Good things happening to me, so why not inflict that pain on others? I feel this pain. Let me. Bullies are it's insecurities that propel bullies, and I wanted to ask you guys: Do you think? Because in the Dr. Phil episode that I watched, um, they did bring Amanda Hevron out, and I was about to ask you about her. Talk to uh, Shanda's mom about her. To my re- remembrance of this episode, I believe that Shonda's mom does blame. Amanda Heverin for or at least holds her to some responsibility because Mm -hmm. one not only was this all because of her you know in quotes obviously you can't ever you can't force someone to kill someone she had no part in the planning or anything crazy she just was simply dating a girl and her ex got jealous that's something to consider but I do remember Shauna's mom saying you know she thinks without Amanda Heverin this wouldn't have happened which could be something argued because it you know, if you ask Melinda, Melinda Lovelace why she didn't like Shonda, she said it was because she was a cappy cat and dating her ex-girlfriend. And then, Amanda Hevron didn't call the police. Uh, she was shown the trunk with the blood in it. She was told that she was killed, and she kept her promise. Now, in that episode, she did say that she didn't believe it. She was in shock, she didn't know who to tell, she didn't know what to do. Shonda's mom feels the culpability in Amanda Heverin, even though she wasn't part of the crime at all. Uh, she was not there, she was not present she was shown the chunk, the bloody chunk, and did not say a word. Um, without Amanda Hepburn, this crime wouldn't have happened
0: to Chandra, but it would have happened to someone else.
1: Yeah. It, it These three, four girls
0: were gonna do something to someone. Yeah. It was just the, like, the all, perfect the, storm. all the horrible things. Do I, th- like, should Amanda have said something? Should she have called someone right away? Yes. But is it her fault? Absolutely not. Like, yeah. it's not her fault that her ex was crazy. It's not her fault. And... Yeah, the only, her only fault is that she should have called the police when she knew about it. But she wasn't there. She didn't mm-hmm. tell them to go do this. She wasn't... I don't think it's fair to put her at fault.
1: I don't even really feel it's fair. to Like, well, I mean, I, I guess there there isn't a story without that background. But I don't feel like... I agree. I don't think it's fair to even put any kind of... Because how could you ever know that your ex was going to actually commit such horrific acts in your name?
2: Uh, I think for Sean's mother... it um, makes sense. It... I don't even think it makes sense. I think that it's just the opposite. I think it it doesn't make sense and therefore to her that's what she wants. She just needs somebody to put it on and obviously the four girls that are culpable have been found guilty, but it just makes no sense to her. I don't think there's any way to rationalize it for her that four girls who her daughter didn't even know could kill her without without some reason being involved. So without. I think that for her might be where that source of pain and that source of animosity comes from. I don't think that's founded, though. I agree with you guys. I mean, she had no knowledge of what Melinda Lovelace's intentions were other than, you know, she might have liked her. But like like we said, this girl was 12 years old that she was dating. I mean, how could yeah. she have really thought much about it? You know, there yeah. really couldn't have been too you much. You think it's a
1: young, like, puppy love relationship. Right. Even at that, I don't think in those times people really believed that lesbian relationships were a thing. You know, I think that's still back in the day where there was these, well, there's still people who believe this, but that that mindset that, oh, it's just a phase. Oh, it's not real. It can't be real. But my last question before asking the ultimate question, which again, this podcast is about, is do you guys think the history of mental illness and abuses in all of these girls' lives and their ages should have played a role in the sentencing based on the crime? So what I mean by that is if these people were 40 years old, facing the same exact set of circumstances and committed this crime do you think the punishment should have been harsher or do you think it was just the way it is right now or do you think it should have been more lenient given these girls backgrounds and do you think you know maybe instead of jail like hannah touched on they should be in a psychiatric ward the rest of their lives or dealt with that way how would you guys think about that
0: i think their age and their backgrounds is why they got the sentences they did i mean that's the that's the point of the court is to weigh on like different circumstances because if it would have been three adults with no history of anything. Um, it would have been a way different sentence, Mm -hmm. but because these, these kids with these horrific pasts did this thing, they had to make a sentence that was a little bit more appropriate for them. Mm -hmm. Um, but I do think that they should, they should be spending the rest of their lives in jail. Yeah,
1: absolutely. (laughs) I agree. What about you, Matt?
2: Well, yeah, absolutely. I mean, torture as a mitigating factor outweighs psychiatric history and age. age. So if you break that down, I personally think with this case, no, it does not. There was so much evidence that they were just sadistic about the way they killed this girl. And I really don't believe that no matter what age we're talking about here, I mean, these girls weren't. 5. Mm-hmm. You know, there were when yeah, I was I 17, I was an idiot, but I certainly knew it was wrong to kill somebody. Yeah, yeah. So, I definitely think that that must have been on the judge's mind when he sentenced them, uh, particularly when he sentenced uh, hope Rippy I think he probably thought she was less culpable and also younger so probably had a lot less mm-hmm. you know she was sentenced to what 25 years less than the other two girls yeah even she was just equally as culpable yeah and
1: she was released in like 10 and it was or 16 released
2: years. after yeah 16, 16 years, years. Yeah. so um but yeah ultimately I think in this case for us I think we would agree that it does not outweigh torture as a mitigating factor for this judge I think it did. Yeah, I agree. agree.
0: And we also don't know what it was like to look into the eyes of two 16 year
1: old girls during right. this whole thing. I'm sure they put on a show.
2: Wonder if they cried when they were sentenced or yeah. if they stood there and looked stone Smart, you yeah. Know what I mean,
1: God. And I think that was a good point. You know, if you think about it, the two older girls, even though they had the most extensive history, they did get the tougher sentence. Whether that's because they had the most to do with the crimes committed. Or because of their age, I don't think their backgrounds were as heavily considered as the other two. I think I think age did play a factor in sentencing, although lighter than you know. I would probably choose for them. I do think it was. It speaks to something that the two oldest girls, again, they did commit the most part of the crime. But uh, I do think that speaks to something. And then, all right, the ultimate question. <laughs> I think we've already answered this through our responses to all of these questions. But do we think that the punishment fits the crime? Do we think um, these girls should be facing an eye for an eye. You know, should these girls be tortured the same way or does the punishment fit the crime? No. Uh,
0: should they be taken out back and tortured?
1: No. no. Yeah, we're not barbarians, should, um, as I'll say a bunch of times in the show.
0: But do they need something to realize what they did? Do you, should, I think that they should have to... I wish that they could watch what they did. I was
2: just
1: going to say that. Over and over what they did to this girl. Um, Absolutely. I think it should haunt them. every. Whatever. I think they should post pictures of Shonda's body everywhere in their cells and for the two that were released once a month at least make them go I think that's sadistic in a way you know I was
2: gonna say it's definitely (laughs) not gonna help them become better adapted to society I don't but you know
1: honestly in this case I don't care about that I think I think you should live with what you did because now a family is without their daughter and to hear the torture imagine being a mother having to sit through that that and and the last words out of Shonda's mouth were mommy
0: Right? So, like, you took the life of Chandra, but you also took the life of her whole family. You right. should have to face that every day, just like that family, which in a different way is also serving a life sentence of what you did to them. Oh, absolutely. So
2: true. So Beyond the life
1: sentence. I mean, they say Chandra's dad drank himself to death because he was so incredibly upset with, with this whole thing, and I can't even imagine. I, I couldn't imagine dealing with it as a parent, no. uh, not knowing what my child went through, uh, that it wasn't a painless death. That it wasn't a short death, it wasn't quick, it was long, it was drawn out, it was horrific, it was malice, and it was planned.
2: I think this is one of those rare cases where we know exactly who was the perpetrators, we know why they did it, we know where, when, we know every possible, not every possible factor, but we know pretty much every important factor leading up to this case, and we still have a doubt. As to whether or not this was a fair sentence, only because their age plays a big factor. But does that outweigh? Is that question you asked, Lisa? Does that outweigh what they did ultimately? Um, not. I think ultimately no. But
1: so I think we're all in agreement. The punishment does not seem to fit the crime in the case of Shonda Share. And I did want to touch really quickly before we wrap this up. Um, There is a Shonda Scholarship Fund. It was established in January 2009. The fund plans to provide scholarships to two students per year from the Processor School of Technology in New Albany. One scholarship will go to a student who's continuing his or her education, and the other scholarship will go to a student who's beginning his or her career and must buy tools or other work equipment. According to the rules of the fund, the scholarship recipient will also be given a plaque or document of some type that tells Shonda Share's story. So I did want to touch on that in case you're interested in donating. I think that's important to wrap these up with at oh, least a glimmer of hope or something that we can help the family out in any way possible. Even giving a dollar would be pretty great and I'm sure podcasts podcast will donate to that as well. But yeah, so we want to hear from you guys. What do you think? Do you think age should play a role in sentencing, whether in this case or in any others. I mean, we're definitely going to touch on more cases of young people committing crimes and crimes committed against young people and how that affects sentencing and what we feel, you know, those should have resulted in. So we want to hear, you know, what you think. Have you heard this story before? How do you think the sentences should have played out? We do have an email. I did just set it up, so I'm super excited about it. Let me get you that link <laughs> because I don't know it off the top of my head. So our email is I4iPod. So E Y E F O R E Y E P O D at Gmail.com. Like I said, we would love to hear from you guys. We'd love to have discussions about this. We'll be setting up a Facebook group, uh, you know, adding everybody in to have these discussions. If you want to email in um, and discuss a case of your choosing or pick one from the massive list we've compiled so far, be a guest, host it as the guest. We would love to hear from you. As Matt and I have touched on this podcast many of times, the more opinions, the better. The more cases, the better. We'd love to hear it. Whether we know it or not, it's it's always interesting to hear everyone's opinions. People, that that's what makes the world so great. You know, we all have different opinions and we all have different thoughts and experiences to bring to the table. So if you want to give us a shout out via email, uh, you know, eye for an iPod at gmail.com is where you would go. So um, I thank you, Hannah and Matt, for being here with me tonight discussing the horrific case that i've been looking up since i was in high school
2: yes thank you for joining us hannah
1: anytime friends please call me back yeah (laughs)
2: absolutely we will
1: anytime for sure so uh, we wish you all good night and thank you so much for tuning in if you like it tell your friends tell your fam uh suggest some cases like i said we'd love to hear from you have a good night everyone